Welcome to the Certified OCS Prep Podcast. I'm Alexis. And I'm Amanda. And we're here to help you prepare for your OCS test. So today we're going to um, kind of go back to some low back stuff, mostly kind of touch on some of the psychosocial factors and some of the different colored flags and screening for low back pain. This is an area we fielded quite a few questions for, and I think it's sometimes confusing. There's kind of that gray area when you're doing case studies and answering practice questions and stuff about like what's most relevant and how much of a factor is this. So I think sometimes it's helpful just to review that. I don't know that, you know, there's always a right and a wrong answer. I think there's usually a better answer. Um, but hopefully this gives you a little bit of information. I do want to mention that MedBridge has three, um, three modules or units within their low back part of their OCS prep that I think might be helpful for this. Um, one of them is called differential diagnosis of the lower quarter. And the other one, the other two are integrative clinical reasoning parts one and two. And I think those, they're more kind of roundtable discussions as part of MedBridge, but I think that they might be helpful in just hearing more people talk about it and reason through some of, some of these gray factors that kind of come up and we're not sure where to place them. So the first um, thing we're going to go through are red flags. I will tell you on page nine in the current concepts on table two, they list a nice chart of what they call traditionally described red flags that increase the suspicion of serious underlying conditions. So that's essentially what your red flags are. Um, they're, they're there to help you rule out if someone's to be treated or referred, basically. Um, if you're seeing something with red flags, a patient with red flags, they probably need referred before they're treated because that's something more serious and it's underlying condition that's presenting as low back pain. It's not usually in that treat and refer category. Um, on that note, I think it's important to know that all of these flags kind of should help you determine treat, treat and refer, or refer only. So I think red flags are something most of us are familiar with. Those are probably the little more set in stone ones. But if you're unfamiliar with them, like I said, page nine in current concepts table two. The next one they talk about are yellow flags. Those are your psychological, social, and environmental factors that could place a patient at risk for prolonged disability. So this is where your standardized instruments that assess depression and level of fear avoidance are recommended. Of course, higher scores on those outcomes are going to lead us towards more of that graded exercise and graded activity treatment approach as opposed to some of the other methods. Um, page 12 in current concepts um, talks about uh, yellow flags. So I'm just going to highlight some of them. One of them being emotional distress. You're going to see high degrees of anxiety, which is more common in acute low back pain, and high degrees of depression, which is going to be more common in your chronic pain patients. You're going to see some hypervigilance. That's kind of their just excessive preoccupation with pain, always aware, that increased awareness, nothing feels good kind of a thing. You'll see some pain catastrophizing. That's an overestimation of the negative impact of pain. So essentially, they think their pain is having this massively negative effect on their overall function in their life when maybe it's not as significant as it, as it appears to be. There's elevated fear avoidance, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Low self-efficacy, which is a patient's belief that they have no control over their pain. Um, sometimes I think that's a hard thing to pick up on. Sometimes, you know, in the short time you have to interview your patient and get an understanding of what's going on. Sometimes I think these flags come out a little bit more as visits progress and you spend a little more time with patients. They're not always relevant on the first day. So 
you know, especially like low self-efficacy, you're not going to really probably pick that up on the first day. So I think just having, you know, some awareness as you're treating these patients as you go that you may need to adapt to some of these flags that come up. The other two yellow flags they mention are a misunderstanding about the nature and likely impact of pain and the misunderstanding about the best strategies for long-term success. And that's where I think that PT can come in, you know, with patient education, that graded activity, you know, this is what we can do long-term and this is how you're going to manage long-term and this is what a long-term management plan looks like versus someone needs to fix my back right now kind of mentality. So like I said, that's outlined for you in table three on page 13 in current concepts of the low back one. Um, I do want to take a minute and talk about the fear avoidance beliefs questionnaire, the FABQ. A score of greater than 19 is indicative of a high fear avoidance. Um, be aware that the FABQ has two subscales, the physical scale and the, the physical subscale and the work subscale. Um, so if you're working with a specific work population, the work one may be more important versus the physical one. But you can kind of use that as appropriate. I use it quite a bit in my um, low back pain patients. Um, and I think it's, it's a pretty good scale. It's pretty accurate. A lot of the patients, you know, fill it out pretty honestly. So it's a good one to know about. The other one um, is the start back screening tool. And that categorizes patients into three different risk categories. You have low risk, medium risk, and high risk. So a low risk is a total score of three or less. And that's someone that's going to present with few mechanical and psychosocial risk factors. A moderate or a medium risk is a total, of a total score of four or more, but their subscore on questions five through nine must be a three or less. That's your kind of psychosocial subset of the, of the start back is questions five through nine. That score needs to be a three or less, even though their total score is a four or more to fit into the moderate risk. A high risk is a score, a overall score of four or more, and all four of those components may come from that subscore of five through nine to put them into this category. And that has a high psychosocial prognostic factor um, with or without mechanical factors. Those are your patients that may not have any specific objective findings, um, but have a lot of um, barriers to overall rehab. So those are kind of the important things in the yellow flag the um, patient reported outcomes. The other thing I want to touch on, which I know we touched on when we did our low back episode before, but is the depression screening. Um, you know, you're going to see this continue to come up not only as you're preparing for your OCS, but also in practice. But the two best questions to be asking for depression screening are during the past month, have you been bothered by feeling down, depressed, or hopeless? And then the um, during the past month, have you been bothered by little interest or pleasure in doing things? If they answer yes on those, then there's a high likelihood of depression. Um, some studies say a follow-up question to that is, do you have any intention to harming yourself? Um, if so, obviously they need immediate treatment. And then a lot of clinicians will ask, you know, if they answer yes to those questions, is this something you'd like help with today? If you're going to ask that, just be prepared to follow up on that. Um, I think in good clinical practice, you know, to really truly help our patients, you should be asking those follow-up questions, and you should be aware of the resources that are available to them, at least to some extent, to guide them in the right direction. So kind of back to our flags. That really kind of covers our yellow flags. I think most of the flags you're going to see fall into that category, um, but there's also blue flags and black flags. So blue flags are related to injured workers and their perception of a situation that may inhibit their return to work. 
So a lot of times these are your folks that are perhaps on workers' comp or they've been on disability for some time. They generally have a low job satisfaction or they're experiencing conflicts at work. They feel like people don't like them. They feel like people are out to get them. They're not motivated to return. They don't like their job or, hey, they're going to have to go back in a different role than they were. Maybe they've lost their management duties or their supervisory duties and they don't really want to go back. Um, these folks may require vocational rehab or a psych consult to facilitate that return to work. Um, but those can be, I mean, certainly some of the blue flags can be overlapped with some yellow flags and stuff. But if it's specifically related to return to work, you're looking at those blue flags. And then the black flags are the societal and financial issues that are barriers to rehab. Um, you know, this is where reimbursement incentives come in to remain disabled. You know, I think the classic example that's put out there is someone that's out on disability isn't real motivated to return to work. Maybe they're watching their grandkids during the day or they're watching one of their kids during the day and it's, they're getting, you know, more on disability than what they'd be paying in childcare. And so they're obviously making money by doing that. And so, you know, those are black flags as barriers to rehabs. Um, I think the blue flags and the black flags sometimes are also noted as like malingering. Um, you know, I think there's something to be aware of. I don't think they're quite as prevalent as your, obviously your red flags or your yellow flags, um, but there's something to be aware of. So that all of that being said, you know, there's no set way to put out here, like, this is what you have to screen for. And, you know, this is, you know, these flags are more important than dealing with maybe an objective measure. But I think that, you know, in cases that are presented where multiple of these psychosocial issues and maybe some ye multiple yellow flags are presented, it's certainly significant enough that it's going to impact the patient's recovery. It's going to be a barrier. It probably warrants treatment sooner rather than later. Now, when you're talking about preparing for the OCS, how that compares to other treatment op um, options that are listed, I don't think there's a set hard and fast, but I think the more familiar you are with these flags, the scores on the start, the scores on the FABQ, the better clinical judgment you can make. Do you have anything, Alexis, that you wanted to add on any of that in terms of how to screen or any of that? No, I think that's all pretty straightforward. Um, you know, just good, good things to know and be aware of for your test for sure. And like you said, for the clinical reasoning as well. Yeah, I, I will say one of the other things we've, this is a fairly quick episode, but we had a lot of questions about it. So I felt like it was important to circle back around to um, the other thing that we've fielded a lot of questions about too, and Alexis can talk more about this in a second, but are like CPRs um, and which ones to study, what's the best way to study them. Um, so our next couple episodes at least are probably going to um, be tailored towards that and our recommendations for that. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have anything you want to add, Alexis? No, I mean, we'll definitely be discussing the ones, um, you know, and you and I had a discussion about how if you're looking for them, some of them are validated, some of them are not. So which ones are important to know? And, and you know, it's definitely a little bit of a gray area, but we're going to do our best to go over the ones that we feel like are important um, and that are validated. So we'll be discussing some of that. Um, and kind of just another thing I wanted to make a quick note of, I know we're getting closer to test day, um, you know, being the end of January. So one thing to keep in mind, just as you're getting closer, um, I just saw some posts where people are starting to get a little nervous in the MedBridge group. Um, you know, you've studied, you've, if you've read, you've been listening to our podcast, you've been studying, um, you know, current concepts in your MedBridge or your evidence in motion or whatever, 
you know, just keep in mind that this is a lot of material. And just like the NPTE, you're probably never going to feel like, you know, everything, and that's okay. (laughs) So, you know, try and (laughs) breathe and just take your time. and, And, you know, these last few weeks, or this last month or so before you take your test, um, you know, just focus on what you've been doing. Don't try and start a new study um, material or start getting yourself anxious. Um, It is a hard exam, but, you know, if you've prepared, you're ready and, um, you know, just try and and keep a, uh, you know, keep yourself calm as much as you can, which is hard, but easier said than done. Yes. But yeah, I agree with Alexis. I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see people do that have studied for this test. Um, and you know, I was there not that long ago. I just think people, you know, they start taking practice tests and they maybe don't score as well as they think they should. And they have this mad scramble, like maybe the material they've been using isn't sufficient enough. It probably is. Okay. Mm-hmm. The tests, like the practice tests are meant to be challenging. I, I would say that when I was studying, they didn't directly correlate to how well I did on the test. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. I would look more as you're starting to take maybe more practice tests and do more practice questions, look at trends more so than your score. You know, is there a certain area, you know, am I really struggling with foot and ankle stuff? Okay. Then go back to the resources you've been using and really dig into the foot and ankle stuff a little bit more versus, Hey, I'm really struggling on neck, but I've been doing okay on the shoulder and the knee stuff. So I think you need to use those types of assessment resources that you have available to you to look at trends. Um, I don't know, Alexis, I'm sure you would agree with that. But. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think Steve and I even talked about a little, that a little bit with MedBridge on uh, the episode we did is really the tests, you know, I can't speak to EIM, I didn't use it, but um, the, the tests on MedBridge, it's really to help you assess your areas of strength and weakness. It's not to give you an idea of what your score might end up being on the OCS. So keep that in mind. Okay. Just keep that in mind. I know yeah. it's, it's hard to see the light sometimes when you're doing that, but it really, I mean, you can make yourself crazy trying to, trying to base everything off of a score on one practice test or one yeah. practice section. Yep. Absolutely. So, other than that, of course, if there's any questions, please feel free to email us. Um, we will link those couple MedBridge episodes that I had mentioned in the beginning of this episode into the show notes. And then, uh, next week we'll look at doing some CPRs with you guys. Yep. Um, Talk to you soon. All right. Thank you.